0: This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 109, How to Become Your Business's Line of Credit and Beat Your Competition, with Scott Plamondon.
1: Traditional financial planning is no longer working, and in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future.
0: Hey, everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Mark Willis, Certified Financial Planner here in the studio, and as always, the lovely, the wonderful Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly.
2: Thank you, Mark. Welcome, everyone. Glad to be with you today.
0: So we've got a special couple of guests on our episode today, and I think you guys are really going to find some just phenomenal value. And I got to just set it all aside for a second and just say, you know, I don't know what the economy is doing when you're listening to this episode. I don't know what the business environment is like or what the stock market is doing. And part of the problem that I've found is that no one else has seems to have that crystal ball either. Holly, do you have yours yet? I mean, has it come in the mail?
2: No, it has not. Okay, unfortunately. all right. <laughs> well,
0: you know, part of the issue is that uh, a lot of our a lot of our business owner clients, um, you know, regularly rely on at least when we first meet them on lines of credit from you know traditional banks. Uh, it could be a line of credit as small as a credit card or something. It could be a, a line of credit on their home, you know, a HELOC or a home equity line of credit, or it could be a you know a business collateralized loan of up to a million dollars like our guest Scott Plamondon will be talking about today. And he'll be talking about how he was able to help free his his client from that million dollar problem, the banks uh, that essentially exited his this uh, client's business and what this client was able to do to save his business and actually help it thrive through a major market turmoil. Uh, so also on the episode, guys, you'll get to hear Brandon and Amanda Neely who also have been successful business owners and what they've used their own line of credit, their own permanent line of credit for, to help them save the business through what was a, a terrible flood and even find some freedom and selling their business at a profit in the, in the midst of all that. So, you know, there's just so many, I guess, risks that business owners take and why should money be one of those risks? And why should the, the future of your business be in the hands of a bank? Mm -hmm. So, Scott Plamondon is a chartered financial consultant, a chartered life underwriter, and the owner of SAP Financial Services in California. He's also the trusted advisor to a number of real estate and business investors, and he's been in the business of financial planning for over 27 years. Uh, And most importantly, I'm sure he would say he is a proud husband and father. So, guys, without any further delay, let me introduce you to the wonderful Scott Plamondon. Scott, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it, Mark. Thanks for the time.
0: And with us today, uh, Scott, as you know, is Brandon and Amanda Neely. Uh, Welcome, Amanda and Brandon. Thanks for having us. Mm -hmm. Brandon and Amanda co-host a complimentary sister podcast to our show. Uh, The name of your podcast, guys, is?
4: Grandma's Wealth Wisdom.
0: Awesome. And where you guys take your conversations and your podcasts are just amazing. So Grandma's Wealth Wisdom, everyone should totally check them out. Part of the reason why I really wanted to have Brandon and Amanda on with Scott uh, was because you guys have not only have you successfully run and been entrepreneurs for many years, but you've also um, somehow found a way to sell a business at a profit uh, and in, in a very difficult market, retail coffee. So uh, I know I what didn't
1: you- suggest anybody do that,
0: that kind <laughs> of business, but whatever, if you want to eat your own. You guys have got uh, some expertise you'll bring to this conversation, but I wanted to definitely have Scott and his uh, focus, uh, specifically a case study, Scott, that you brought to my attention uh, and just talk through that with you. Uh, So first of all, before we get into the story uh, of, of the individual you worked with, tell us a little bit about yourself, Scott. Tell us about your background and your journey in financial services.
3: Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, I really grew up on the East Coast and uh, right outside of Boston, about 40 minutes south of Boston, in a little city called Central Falls, Rhode Island, and uh, decided early on I did not want to stay there for the rest of my life. So I figured a great way out of living where I was living was to join the Air Force. So about 1984, January of 1984, about two weeks after my 18th birthday, I left for uh, Air Force basic training and believe it or not joining the Air Force That was the first time I was ever on an airplane uh, was when I joined the Air Force believe it or not. So um, Then I kind of uh, wanted to go to college. I, that's why I was joining the military as well as to help them pay for my schooling and I stayed back east I went to uh, New Hampshire College full-time nights while I was in the Air Force and then when I got out I had about a year left. I was an accountant in Boston uh, for about three and a half years before Uh, moving out to California in 1991 and uh, focused on, after I left the accounting world, it was about a little bit before I was going to see about sitting for my CPA exam, decided that I wanted to um, go into financial services. I started to take the classes uh, back in Boston when I was there. And when I moved out to California, I just continued that process and have been uh, licensed uh, here for about uh, 28 years now.
0: And the rest is history. So, Maybe tell us a little bit about your focus as a uh, specialist for business owners. Uh, you you told me um, in a, a conversation, Scott, that 86% of business loans at banks are rejected. Is that even halfway true? I mean, that sounds crazy. <laughs>
3: It, depending on what bank you, you choose to go to and depending on how high of an interest rate you're willing to pay, uh, that was one of the bankers that I, I work with on a, a common basis out here uh, said that to me. About 86% of all the loans she sees uh, are rejected. Or if they refer them outside places, you're looking at interest rates that can exceed uh, 15 to 20% interest just to try to get a line of credit for your business. But yeah, you are right. That's, that's the numbers out there that we're seeing from some of the people that we're talking to.
0: Well, and you know, we could look into the reasons why so many businesses fail. Brandon, Amanda, I know you guys have had to work with banks and have had to essentially become your own source of capital. Uh, but you know, it's, it's true that many businesses fail due to cash flow issues. Uh, so, um, Scott, do you want to share a bit about the story that you shared with me? There's a, a client you worked with and helped work through some of the problems with not being, act, being able to access capital when they wanted it.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, a good question you had asked me earlier was how did I end up in the business owner side of the uh, insurance business and, and working with a lot of business owners on a day-to-day basis is really when I came out to California, I had no market. At all. Uh, I know a lot of people have that too when they're moving to a new place. And, uh, I started out in the business using Dun & Bradstreet cards and just calling business owners, uh, asking them if they needed insurance and, you know, either buy sell agreements or executive bonus type of plans, those type of things. So that's how I started out in the business way back then. And I knew I wanted to work during the daytime. I didn't want to have to be working, you know, nighttime and weekend. So I focused on business owners and met them with that met with them at their place of business during business hours. So that's really where I started off um, going back there. But this particular business owner that I had met with, um, I, he was uh, about 20 minutes from my office, and I drove out to see him. Uh, very very nice guy. He's owned a business for about. 20 years and uh he is in the modular business for um offices so he builds the when you walk into an office building all those cubicles and stuff like that that's what he supplies to businesses and he has sales representatives all across the united states that work for him i think he had like 15 to 20 of these guys um just going out to these regular businesses and um and selling them these office spaces When he came to me, it was about in 2000, and uh, and this is one of my other business owners that was perfectly obvious. Back in 08, um, he had told me that Bank of America, who was one of the banks he was working with, he worked with a bunch of different banks out here in Southern California, who was at the time holding the majority of his line of credit, decided that they no longer wanted to be in his line of business. Um, So he got a phone call from the banker first phone call was about a month and a half, two months before that, that said, hey, we're reducing your line of credit down from uh, a million dollars down to 500. Next phone call, he got a couple weeks later, we're going down to 250. Uh, And following uh, two weeks after that, approximately, they had said, we're exiting your business and you no longer have a line of credit and we're going to term your loan out, which means he had five years to pay that loan back in full. It was about a million dollar line of credit that he had had and decided that uh, that was uh, the way that they were going to exit his business by just turning his loan. And with the 20 or so employees that he had throughout the country that took people to lunch with their their credit cards that they had had that ran through the line of credit, he now was facing a situation where he had to basically start over accumulating money outside of the banks in order to be able to finance his own line of credit. And that's where our story began.
0: Wow. Okay. So Brandon, Amanda, does that sound familiar? Uh, Running a business and uh, seeing loans being called, you guys went through uh, a major global financial meltdown with your business. Does that sound familiar at all? Uh,
4: Yes. That does not surprise me. I was shaking my head the whole time I heard that, not in disbelief, but in that it's all too common for that kind of story to happen.
1: I feel like we started our business post 2008, uh, in 2011 and trying to even launch a business, uh, was really, really difficult to even get the, the, um, cash to start it, I guess you could say. And, and so I could only imagine if I were, has, had started in 2007 and then 2008 hits, that would, it would have sunk us in no time. So, Scott, tell us where the story takes us next. We
0: started with this successful business owner who basically has his loan called uh, and he has a five year pay, d- pay down to get rid of that debt. Uh, what happens next?
3: So, his goal was to well, it basically, when he came to me, he said, Look, I don't want to ever depend on the banks for anything again. So, he was doing some materials financing that he was doing, he was also doing a line of credit. And he said, How do I get this? you know, in the company and build it personally and be able to self-finance my line of credit, my, myself and with the tax advantages that we have using the insurance policies, I was able to show him depositing money every year and then making a withdrawal out of the, uh, uh, as much of that money as possible to replace his million dollar line of credit over a six year time period. He was able to build up enough workflow and he was doing little by little each year where he had a million dollar line of credit lent back personally to his business so that he can have his operating line of credit that he needed to work with every day.
0: So tell me what's going on here. So he has a million dollar debt to uh, the bank when you meet him. Is that right? Yes. So not only does he have to come up with a million bucks over a five-year period, but you're saying he also wants to set up a line of credit for himself, essentially creating... Uh, a permanent cash position that he can use as you know a, a line of credit using the bank on yourself strategy using the dividend paying whole life policies we've we've talked about on this ep- on these uh, previous episodes uh, so he's also setting up that separate pile of cash for his own line of credit to himself is that a fair
3: absolutely yeah he sort of double dipping those first five years in order to be able to pay that line back and be able to fund the policy over the next five years to be able to continue uh, to do his financing. So it was, it was, it was hard on him. I mean, he, he knew it was coming that way, uh, but he had made a decision that he wasn't going to let this bother him. so he was personally funding the, um, the policy with personal funds using business funds to pay back the existing line of credit and then lending back that money to keep the operation of the business going. So he was using his personal money to fund that policy over five years, using business assets to pay down the loan at the bank.
0: Awesome. So what we've created here then, it sounds like, is he's evaluated his landscape of options. He's seeing what the bank essentially does in tough times, which is exit a business, right? A bank is not in the business of writing the the financial storms of life they want to take what they can and then get out of the business once they see trouble so what he's exactly done, what he's done is he said all right i'm going to set up a personally owned bank on yourself type whole life policy that you know builds up wealth and accumulates cash value for for his personal needs uh, and all along the way the full intention of this business owner was to use that personally owned policy as a line of credit to his business for any purpose, any, anything his business might need. Is that a fair summary of what's gone on so far?
3: Exactly. Yep. And we're using our, our contracts, which are designed to be highly liquid from the start in order to be able to start that process early on. So it's as quick as 21 days after that first deposit goes in on the policy side, we're making our first withdrawal back to the and lending it back to the business.
0: Wow. Okay. So he plunks in a large chunk of capital into his whole life policy that he personally owns. And within a month, you're saying that he's pulled that money out of the policy to, you know, add capital working cash for his business.
3: Right. We try to get that cash value up as as high as possible to keep the efficiency in the contract. So it's not a dollar for dollar transfer that he's doing on the early stages of the policy. um, But we are getting that up as high as possible. Correct.
0: Wow. Okay, so I want to push the pause button on this story one more time, Uh, Brandon, Amanda. You guys have used your bank on yourself type policies for your, you know, coffee business before you started uh, working as financial experts and professionals. Tell us, was there ever an example where you used your personally owned policies? Maybe it wasn't a million dollar line of credit, but at your scale, what was it that you used your policies for in the midst of a downturn
1: or tough time for you guys? Well, the first. Well, we did it to help pay off some some of our own debts for the business. Uh, that was one. But then uh, there was a time where we actually had a flood happen in our business. Literally, the roof was off and uh, it decided to rain for 30 minutes, downpour. And uh, so it flooded in our store. So during that time, we needed still money to overcome and pay our bills and things like that. And so we leveraged the policy for that downturn. It wasn't like an economic, well, it was an economic downturn. It just happened to be localized to our building. Uh, And so it was a very big economic downturn for us. I assume that with a flooded retail business,
0: um, the business would not have uh, benefited from that and may have even closed as a result if there wasn't monies ready to repair that damage. Is that right? You guys would have not sold this business at a profit had you not had some money to cover that um expense when there's a, a flood in your in your front lobby.
4: Right. And we did have, you know, property insurance that eventually did, you know, send us a check to cover loss of sales and loss of business, but that didn't happen immediately, right? So there is that gap and If we didn't have even the money to pay our grocery bill, our personal rent during that gap, we would have had to go find a job, go to a bank and beg for money, put money onto a credit card, you know, something. And it was we felt really great that we had set up our own line of credit that we could use through our bank on yourself type policies. To be our own source of financing in that down in that economic downturn that was very localized uh, for us, and uh, it really did save the day. So then a few months later, we you know around that time we had actually found out we were expecting our first child. Uh, all those factors led to us actually being able to sell the business and wanting to sell the business, and then we were able to do that when that time came. Yeah.
0: So fantastic story, guys. Thank you. All right. So Scott. Why do you think it's the case that uh, this gentleman made the choice to set up his own line of credit for his business? I mean, that's a good, that's a big decision uh, and a seven-figure decision. Why does he do that? What, yeah. Help help me understand why he landed on creating this policy in this purpose.
3: You know, it's really one story with him. As you know, a lot of business owners want control of the growth and the and the success of the business. And he felt like he was really subject to what the bank's desires were i mean he was paying i think i mentioned this to you before mark he was paying um, a person an accountant in his office pretty much half of her time was consumed with putting the books in in everything all of the numbers that the bank needed to see on a quarterly basis to keep his loan approved through the loan committee with this line of credit and he did not want that anymore i mean he wanted to remain in control of the growth of the business. And he, did, he wanted the tax advantages that the, the policy provides him as well. Uh, but he just felt like he was done with not having control of the decisions that he made to grow his business. And this was a way for him to take that back.
0: So not only is he paying the, the bank the interest rate, whatever that interest rate was on a million dollar line of credit, but he's also paying, you have to factor in the expense of that accountant, what her, his or her time is worth, the expense of covering the salary of that person who's basically running the reports to satisfy the needs of that bank am i hearing you right there
3: absolutely yep absolutely and and that was not a an inexpensive employee to save to have and i think it he said it would save him about 30 to 40,000 in employee costs from from having that controlled personally from that point going forward
0: what has been the result? This this was some time ago, I assume. Have have you seen this? How have you seen this play out uh, for this business and this business owner? And is this indicative of where things might be headed if we go through another downturn? Uh, what else do you see as you evaluate the landscape of where things are for business owners today?
3: Well, Mark, one of the, the main uh, things that you always hear about the a uh, banker, right? You know the story about when a banker will lend you money, right? Go ahead and tell us that quote. <laughs> a banker is more than willing to lend you money when the sun is shining and asks for it back when it starts to rain. So this was a perfect scenario for him. Uh, and when I said that to him, originally he chuckled, but it's it was oh too true uh, what he was going through. And the, the sad part about it was he was right in the middle of that, uh, that storm. So uh, with him, that was the most important part was to take back control. And to get that to be basically on the growth pattern again, but not having to worry about anybody calling the line. The other thing that he wanted as well is even when business is bad, he still had to make payments on his line of credit through the bank, right? When you have a policy loan, the policy loans are non-structured, right? So that means that anytime if he has a downturn in business, he can actually stop making payments and accrue the interest on the loan through the policy. So that was the other piece that he wanted the flexibility and he's doing great. I mean, he makes payments when he can. uh, And basically he has the ability now to expand that line of credit higher than what it was originally projected because he continues to put his own money into the policy as well to produce a retirement income down the road. So the way he's looking at it is he's financing the growth of his business. The business is paying the interest back to him and in the future he'll be able to use That interest that the that the uh, company paid back to him and the growth of the policy to have a tax free retirement income down the road,
0: phenomenal, incredible story. And the outcome is that he becomes you know more resilient during the next downturn, whatever that might be for him and his industry. And I don't know if he has competitors in his space. I assume he does. Uh, If all of them are traditional methods of using a bank to finance their operations. Who's going to be more resilient when the next, you know, hard storm hits?
3: Either that and and the other reason why he wanted to continue to fund the policy personally with his own dollars after the point of being able to have that million dollar line of credit through there was that exact reason. As business slows down, you have a lot of people that run into financial difficulties. I mean, cash flow is really the Achilles heel to most business owners. Most business owners are great at running their business, but horrible at controlling cash flow. And he knows that. He's been in the business a long time, and he's been subject to that before as well. But now he has the ability to step into that policy, grab some money, and maybe purchase one of his competitors and, you know, and grow his business that way through acquisitions, through the cash value of the policy as well, that additional cash access he has. So he understands that. And that's one of the main reasons why he loved the control of the cash as well.
0: Well, I've heard it said that your money has to have a place to live. You have to let your money live somewhere. And so where you put your money makes it act differently. And if you're, if you're working in contrary, uh, if, you're, if your money is living contrary to where your business's needs are, you're going to be fighting against kind of a headwind, right? If your money is in a 401k or, you know, an IRA, it's not going to essentially be working for your business. Uh, You're going to have to be using other monies to help support and grow your business. But what you just said, Scott, was really important for the business owner who's listening. Uh, You just said that he could pack money from profits and proceeds from his business into a policy that he owns personally his business can access that money through a personal loan to the business. And then he can his business can either repay that policy loan on a specific schedule or take a break if his business hits a rough patch. Did I hear all that right?
3: Absolutely. Yep. That's the control feature that he wanted to have you know, with the ability to do that. So he would have the, um, the flexibility to be able to run his business the way he wanted to.
0: Awesome. Brandon, Amanda, would you guys want to chime in and give any flavor to what Scott's sharing so far?
4: I guess I don't, I'm not sure, Scott, what the profit margins are like in this gentleman's business. Uh, Hopefully they're really good. Um, But I can, when I think of paying interest to a bank, I know that's going to reduce my profit margin as a business owner. Um, And as in this setting up where he can be his own source of financing using this personally owned uh, policy to loan to the business, he gets to then say what portion of the profit is the interest then? And what is he actually willing to give up of his profit margin for that interest? And that just speaks to that control that you have uh, when you're operating a line of credit in the way we're describing. And, um, and how much more control you have over it too. And especially knowing, you know, some people run their business with credit cards and, you know, the the interest that they might pay on those credit cards totally just destroys any profit that they might have made um, from the inventory or whatever it was that they sold.
3: Yeah, that's a spiraling cycle that you're talking about too. And, and out here uh, where we are, uh, in the southern uh, on the west coast is uh, a very, very hard uh, situation for a lot of business owners out here are forced into those daily interest loans even. And when they learn about this concept and the fact that they can free themselves over time, right? because you still have to be able to fund the contract over a period of time, but then take over that financing structure personally. And then the benefit of them paying the interest, you know that excess interest that they pay back to themselves is a huge deal. For their retirement, right? So you're basically financing the growth of your business and and taking advantage of that with retirement income in the future, paying that back to you. So um, business owners love to reinvest in their own business because it's what they understand. Uh, And this really shows a business owner how to accomplish that in a a tax-favored environment uh, for the future.
0: Scott, did you have any pushback from his CPA or other uh, accounting experts that was looking at this structure, uh, the solution you'd put together for them? Um, anything that came up in your discussions with other uh, CFOs or accountants that work with this business yeah, owner? The,
3: the, only, the only issue we had with the business owner was he we was referring other clients to us. So that was the amazing part about it. And I've dealt with in, in 2008, the same time period, I had a business owner that was um, and, uh, he was a construction business and he could see the volatility of the markets going up and down. This was around the 2000 era. And when we have the correction there, he decided he didn't want to be part of the market at all anymore and put the money that he had had in his brokerage account into a policy. And then, you know, right when he finished funding it, about 2005, 2006, when he finished funding it, 2007 hit out here. And as you guys know, the real estate prices out here dropped almost in half. And he took a full policy loan. I remember him, he was telling me um, that he had to have the cashier's checks in $20,000 increments because he was going to the courtroom steps um, to be able to buy these properties. And he was buying streets of houses. Uh, And because of the flexibility of the policy, you know, his business had slowed down too. He didn't have to make any payments on those loans. And two years later, he sold almost all of those properties that he had purchased for 50 cents on a dollar uh, or less even, uh, for full price again. It took him two or three years to get there. Um, not full price that he that they, the people before, originally purchased those for, uh, but he made them over two times his return in about two and a half years just by having cash in a position that he was able to capitalize on the downturn in the real estate values out here in Southern California.
0: Jaw-dropping. Scott, when people look at the whole life insurance illustrations, the spreadsheets that are usually accompanying the new whole life contracts that they'll get or if they're reviewing it online, one of the biggest complaints or objections you're going to hear is, "Hey, that's, you know, that's a very low or modest rate of return." But you're saying something different here. You're saying that there's something bigger than just the internal components of the life insurance contract that can help increase your overall Rate of return, right? It's all one wallet. It's all one wallet. If you're using that cash value to essentially pick up properties fifty cents on the dollar and then selling them at a profit, that should be factored in because it's a liquid asset to the overall return of your portfolio. Is that? Do I hear you right? There? Right.
3: Yep. And that was his business. I mean, you you know that story that Nelson used to always say: liquidity seeks out those who have it right? Opportunity seeks out those who have liquidity, right? So he knew that the opportunity was going to arise. It was just perfect. He had just finished funding it and that had happened. He was able to capitalize and make a great rate of return uh, by doing that. But having liquidity somewhere in a taxable advantaged position and having the ability to be able to use that and capitalize on opportunity, it's what he understood. It's what he liked and he loves his business, of course. And that's the rate of return he made. So it's not about having you know a, a modest rate of return in the life insurance policy. It's about the opportunity that that, that creates for when those downturns and when those, those opportunities happen, uh, he's a, he was able to capitalize on those big time and make the majority of his money from that rate of return. So the money needs to sit somewhere, right? Money needs to reside somewhere. The more it can reside through somewhere where you control the entity, you control the taxes, you know that's really where uh, that's really where the rate of return is made.
0: You know, for business owners listening, you're already in the banking business, whether you realize it or not. You're already participating in that system. The question is, which side of the banker's table are you sitting on? Uh, Brandon, Amanda, would you guys have any final thoughts before we turn to Scott?
1: Well, I think, I mean, again, going back to our story, um, as we heard you speak about this concept, um, two years into our business, uh, we watched a video, I think by, uh, Nelson Nash and really it clicked because we were like, wait, who are we making money for, uh, at the end and, and seeing how much credit cards were and, and all of this and, and, and us doing our own math on it and saying, all right, we want to make some money off of, off of this business, not just, um, be making JP Morgan or Harris or whatever bank that we had at the time, uh, making them money for us. And then saying them saying later, uh, we don't need you anymore. Um, we wanted to figure out another way. And this solution really made sense to us. Uh, what would you say, Amanda? You think that that's true?
4: Yeah, I think it is. And we talk with a lot of entrepreneurs recent, you know, like just in life in general. And a lot of people think that that's people in their 20s, but the average age of an entrepreneur is 42 um, for their starting their, uh, like if you just look at startup founders, 42 is the average age. What if people in their 30s could go ahead and create a line of credit like this for themselves so that when they start their business later on, make that leap? they never have to depend on a bank the whole time. Wouldn't that be really awesome? And I think, Scott, you can just open people's minds to that idea. And uh, I think that's part of hopefully what this conversation will do for the non-business owners that are listening. What if you do decide you want to start your own business in the future? Wouldn't you want your own line of credit instead of having to depend on a bank? How how could you make that happen?
1: Yeah, I would have wished that we would have met Mark um, years ahead of time before we launched our business. And maybe it would have it would have changed a lot even more. I mean, when we'd met, met you, it was really great. But before we opened the business, it would have been even better.
0: Well, and having tasted your lattes, I would have loved to have met you guys years previous too. But now you guys are in even better circumstances and serving people more than just coffee. Tell us where First, Brandon and Amanda, tell us where folks can learn more about the work you guys have done and are doing. And then, Scott, I'd love to hear the same for you, uh, ways we could make sure folks know about you. And, of course, we'll uh, have folks know where to reach out to us if they want to partner with you on projects. So, Amanda and Brandon, uh, how can folks learn more about the work you're doing and the projects you're involved with?
4: Yeah, wherever you're listening to this podcast, go to that same place and look up Grandma's Wealth Wisdom podcast, so on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever. Um, Or if you're listening in a web browser, just go to grandmaswealthwisdom.com.
0: And Scott, if folks want to work with you on anything that might relate to their business and help them grow their line of credit for themselves, uh, similar to that story you shared with me and with all of our listeners... uh, You and I mentioned that maybe the best way to do that would be to go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com, click on request a meeting, and then when you select a time on our calendars to speak with us for a 15-minute phone call, make sure to mention Scott Plamondon in your notes so where we can help serve you with the expertise Scott can bring to bear.
3: That's perfect, Mark. Thank you very much. I look forward to talking with anybody who wants to learn more about controlling their own financial future.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys, everyone, for uh, being a part of the show today. So Mike drop that was awesome and uh, again thank you to Scott, Brandon and Amanda. You know, I think Holly the uh, business owner client of Scott said it best when he said, you know, I don't ever want to depend on banks for anything ever again. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's truly a statement of freedom. Yeah. You know? It's like I'm hearing uh, Mel Gibson's uh, Braveheart in the background, you know,
2: freedom. <laughs> when I
0: hear that, so what? What were some of your takeaways from today's episode?
2: Yeah, well, and the number of times that you know I've even heard that when working with clients, and I'm sure mm-hmm. you have as well. I mean, just story after story after story of person after person being burned by the banks in some capacity or, or another. Most often, it's business owners, but even person, you know, just individuals with um, that aren't business owners, but still getting burned by the banks. I mean, yeah. so many people are just like, nope, nope, not again. <laughs> I'm not giving them the opportunity to um, you know, hurt me in that way again and to kind of dictate my future like that. Um, but as far as a takeaway, um, I just think it can't be missed, uh, the, the kind of the little snippet that was shared with us, um, that 80%, 86%, sorry, of all businesses have their loans rejected. Mm. 86%. Wow. So if you're a business owner and you're thinking or you're even someone that's aspiring to become a business owner and your thought process is, oh, well, when I need money, I know I'll be able to, like, go to my bank down the street or my, you know, credit union that I have an established relationship with. And, of course, they'll give me something. Well, maybe not. I Mm -hmm. mean, because 86% of people are not getting it. And so, you know, maybe you do have something up your sleeve that makes you a part of the magical 14% that actually gets a loan. Um, But, you know, maybe not as well.
0: Or if you get a loan the first time, you're in the 14% that did get that special loan. And then what about next time? Mm-hmm. You know, are the odds always going to be in your favor every time?
2: Yeah. And guaranteed that exa- exactly like you said, you're going to be able to get more or get additional ones. And then, you know, you couple that with the fact that, okay, so 86% are rejected. Only 14% of people who apply for business loans get them. But then if you are, like you said, even a part of that lucky 14% that gets, that gets a loan, well, it can be Called at any point, apparently, (laughs) and at any point they can just say, "Oh, actually, we're no longer going to be servicing this loan due to X, Y, you know, reason," Um, and so therefore, pay up, (laughs) like it's due. Um, And I mean, who who can weather that? I mean, if you had the money in the first place, you wouldn't have needed the loan, right? So when they're calling people's loans, they're very obviously people that don't have. The money to pay that back, so that's just devastating. It can force you to sell your business at an inopportune time. Um, it could, I mean, it could lead to bankruptcy. I mean, just so many different things could make you take out second mortgages on your home. I mean, just all kinds of different crazy um, scenarios that that could then make play out for people um, that are otherwise detrimental to their lives because of these loans. So I just think that those are some important. Um, I guess, factors to keep in mind for especially our business owner listeners when it comes to thinking through where's the best place for um, you know my money to be living and where's the best place for me to be depending on my money coming from. And maybe, just maybe, it's not the banks. Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, for me, it was Brandon and Amanda's story about their businesses flood. You know, they, that literally their policy allowed them to keep their business doors open. uh, Whereas, you know, waiting on the insurance check at, you know, from their property insurance claim would have taken weeks or months and would have lost all that revenue. You know, it's, it's, it's like if I had had my money in an IRA, Roth IRA, whatever, that's fine. And maybe it would have had a higher rate of return in that year, who knows what the market would have done but I would have lost my business at the same time. And what Mm -hmm. what he mentions almost in passing is that they, at the end of that same year, they they sell the business for profit, you know, whereas they would have lost the whole thing and all the time and effort they'd put into that business had they not had liquidity. I think Nelson Nash, who we've, uh, you know, talked some about in previous episodes, uh, has said, you know, it's not about the internal rate of return of the whole life policy. It's about the the chance to have liquidity. You know, he says opportunity seeks out those with liquidity. Let me say that again. Opportunity seeks out those who have liquidity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if your money has to live somewhere, which side of the banker's table is your money going to live? Yours or theirs? Right? So yeah, I'm, I'm just floored by Scott's story and Brandon and Amanda's uh, courage. By the way, always guys gotta recommend you check out their podcast if you like this one. Uh, go to Grandma's Wealth Wisdom. Anywhere you listen to pot, find podcasts, you'll find their show. So guys, uh, thank you all for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your business, and your future. <laughs>